freshman biology teacher that I drove crazy. <laughs> she literally would pull at the roots of her hair like, Susan! <laughs> what, what is it that you did? I would just ask her tons of questions because, you know, we were dissecting things and we had to do presentations and microscope work and bench work and, um, and I just loved it. And I really, I really loved her. She was, she was a great teacher and, um, uh, but I think I drove her crazy. <laughs> um, that curiosity, those questions. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I learned a lot that year. And I, I, I kind of have a half of a memory that she said, you know, you should be a doctor. Welcome to In Contact with the ACO. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Each month, we feature a case presentation, interview, or discussion by one or more of our doctors who practice a different kind of psychiatry. We're interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at organomy.org. If you're interested in attending one of our webinar presentations, you can meet the doctors and join in on the discussion afterwards. You can connect with us and learn more at adifferentkindofpsychiatry.com or organomy.org. This episode features an interview with Dr. Susan Marcel and how her path brought her to becoming a medical ergonomist. Uh, Dr. Marcel, I-, I wanted to sit down with you. I wanted to hear your story um, because I think it'll help listeners get to know you, uh, the ACO, but also help them uh, understand medical ergonomy. Um, so, in some ways, the question is just simple. How did you get to, to be where you are today? Mm-hmm. How did you become a medical ergonomist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's been a journey of many steps. Um, I mean, I wanted to be a doctor since I was eight years old. So, never thought I'd be a psychiatrist, though. You know, so it, it kind of wounded my way through. Um, I had a wonderful family doctor when I was a kid. Um, Dr. William Stack, and he just took great care of us and you know, my brothers and I when we were little and he was warm, he was caring and you know, he, he just connected with you no matter what the problem was. So that left a real deep impression on me. And um, that reminds me of like a Norman Rockwell painting in some way. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just that, sure. that image I'm getting. From I can see his office. I can, I can picture it still to this day. Um, what it smelled like, where things were, wow. his blood pressure cuff. He had a little black bag, um, uh, the thermometer, you know, everything. And, and I always felt better when I left there, um, you know, variety of colds and earaches and, you know, sore throats and stuff like that. So... And then when I was around eight years old, I was hit by a car, which was a real shocking thing. I got a concussion. Yeah, I mean, I could have died, but, you know, here I am. But I got really good care there, and Dr. Stack again, you know, I I just remember the warm care and concern. And, you know, I stayed home from school, and my mom was checking on me every half hour, make sure that that I was okay. Um, But... I, I remember around that time kind of formulating this idea like I want to be like that doctor, you know, because he took good care of me. I want to be like him. So I started looking up to him in some way in my mind. Um, 
so that was like the first impression of Susan wants to be a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I grew up in a very large Italian, Irish, Catholic family in Philly. So <laughs> everybody talks, nobody listens. <laughs> and I'm very much an observer. I just kind of watch. And I used to just kind of watch things. And I'm naturally very curious. So um, there's a lot of excitation. And I just would kind of take it all in. And um, But I was curious about who are these people? You know, how come they all, you know, interact the way they do. So <laughs> yeah. um, another thing I thought of was my dad was a really strong observer of other people. We used to sit on the boardwalk down at the Jersey Shore as a child and we would watch people and he would say to me, what do you think he does for a living? Or what do you think her name is? Or <laughs> what about the way they're acting? So I, somehow I learned how to just be an observer and, and I was naturally very curious um, child. So um, and I, I spent a lot of time outdoors. You know, I love nature and the world, and I was—I just loved being alive. Loved being a kid, um, and uh, also played piano too. That was a way to just kind of have my own voice in the room. <laughs> you know, everybody's talking. There's all this chaos um, and chatter, and I would just sit at my piano and I just—I've been playing since I was a little kid. So, so that was like the early foundation. Uh huh. Um, and then I remembered in, uh, in fourth grade, my science teacher was kind of babbling on about the solar system. And, you know, it's later in the afternoon and you're know, getting ready to go home. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there at my desk and I, I was pretty tall for my age, so I was always in the back. You know, and I remember looking out the window and the sun was coming through the window. And she's talking about the sun and the moon and this, you know, the planets and the solar system. And I remember thinking, wow, there's the sun. Like, what is that? You know, where'd that come from? And I was daydreaming, <laughs> which I did a lot. And she kind of yelled at me for not paying attention. But I remember thinking, wow, that's sun. That's, there's something there. You know, mm -hmm. was, again, I was curious, even though what I was being taught was pretty rote and mechanical. So, um, and then I think fast forward going through to high school, I had a really great freshman biology teacher that I drove crazy. <laughs> <laughs> she literally would pull at the roots of her hair like, Suzanne? <laughs> what, what is it that you did? I would just ask her tons of questions because, you know, we were dissecting things and we had to do presentations and microscope work and bench work and um, and I just loved it. And I really I really loved her. She was, she was a great teacher and um, uh, but I think I drove her crazy. <laughs> um, that curiosity, those questions. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I learned a lot that year, and I I, I kind of have a half of a memory that she said, you know, you should be a doctor, and <laughs> and you know, and I didn't connect the dots, you know, it was still kind of seeds that were fermenting, and, uh, and germinating. Um, but I was very curious. I just wanted to know. I would look in a microscope and go, what is this? You know. I remember seeing an amoeba and going, what is that? <laughs> you know, yeah. I had never seen anything like that before. So, so again, that love of science, love of nature. Um, and my parents told me I could be anything I wanted to be if I worked hard enough. So there was, that was good fertilizer. You know, they mm -hmm. really believed in, in me, you know, moving on and doing something, you know, that really was, you know, something was big. a good fit. Yeah. 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 Um, and my parents came from nothing, 
you know, so for them to push their children, that was kind of what the culture, you know, um, and our family promoted, like, you know. Have your children better off than? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, but I think early on I began to see that there was a difference in the way things were taught. So there, you know, I had a gut reaction, like when things were taught very mechanically, it repelled me. I just went, oh, you know. But if it was taught more, you know, hey, this is life, there's something amazing about what you're seeing, and hey, look at this, what do you think of that? And um, just observing. And that I, I just was drawn to, you know, to what was alive and, and spontaneous. Well, when you said that, I'm thinking of like, you know, memorizing the planets and order right. from distance from the earth versus like you're feeling the warmth and seeing the sun outside right. and that's what you want to... Right, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so I kind of intuitively knew the difference. I didn't know that that's what I was doing, con you know, consciously. But um, it was right... And I, I really loved like going on field trips and I loved, you know, the lab work and hands-on. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember, I remember the first time one of my teachers lit a Bunsen burner, and I'm like, isn't that cool? <laughs> you know? Um, and, and I kind of found my niche in high school and college, like it was okay to be smart. You know, I wasn't athletic, you know, I, I could do things, but I wasn't gonna be, you know, an ace basketball player, or, you know. So, you know, it was okay to be smart and, um, you know, the idea of becoming a doctor was germinating a little bit more than through high school and college. And along the lines, I, I started thinking, maybe I want to be a pediatrician and work with children. Because I just think kids are great, you know, they make you laugh and they're fun, they're spontaneous and they're sick. You want to make them better the way, you know, my, my family doctor had done. Um, so it was around this time, like in high school and early college, um, I lost three of my grandparents. They, they kind of died. Oh, wow. You know, in succession of various illnesses, and it was, um, and two of my th three living grandparents, they lived with us while they were sick and dying, and they had hospice care. It was really pretty awful watching them, you know, kind of wither away from cancer and heart disease. Um, and that left a really deep impression on me because I, I would go visit them in the hospital, and I saw the doctors, and the doctors seemed kind of cold and mechanical and. The pain management at the time I didn't know this but the pain management then was terrible mm. and they really suffered and they didn't need to and it hurt like the grief of all of that I was the, my one grandfather I was very close to like my mom's dad and uh, just watching him with her way it was, was really awful so mm. that I think left an impression on me like I could do better than that you know there's suffering in the world I can make a difference you know um, and I didn't understand what cancer was. It was just like this illness that kind of invaded your body. Um, and I felt, I felt pretty helpless. And I kind of buried all those feelings. I had buried the feelings of the car accident when I got hit by a car. And then, the, you know, my grandparents passed. I remember just kind of like, okay, just tuck that away. Um, and I didn't deal with that probably for maybe another five, ten years. Um, but that was a significant window of time when they all died. Um, and it was also around this time, uh, like that was through college, mid, mid middle of college, my four years of college, I decided I was going to apply to medical school. That was that was a big choice for me because I I was a biology major in college, loved it, 
think I drove my professors crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I did research under uh, one of the professors there, and I, you know, I really enjoyed uh-huh. just having a lab to myself and just working on on some things. And um, so I, I decided when I was applying to medical school that I wanted to be a pediatrician. That was that was, that was the stated the goal. Yeah. yeah. Um, and during my pediatric rotation in medical school, I met a doctor who was training to be a medical ergonomist uh, at the college, the American College, of, American College of Ergonomy, and he left a really deep impression on me too. So again, all these kind of impressions I was getting kind of helped formulate where I was heading. And working with him on the pediatric unit and the way he interacted with the, the kids, the families that came to visit, the, you know, the staff, the attendings. Um, he was warm and caring and he connected and he really had a nice way with the kids that was different than other doctors that I had been around working with and been around. Um, and that left an impression on me too. So again, here I am, this kind of observing kind of person watching Wow, that's a great way to be. Uh-huh. Um, so I remember one day during that pediatric rotation, um, I pulled him aside and I just I need I had a, a question. I just I was struggling with something personally, and I, I said, "What do you think I should do?" And he looked at me and he said, "You need to be in therapy." And he was spot on. It was good advice, um, which I eventually did. Uh-huh. And. Uh, you know, and then I moved on and continued through medical school, all the different rotations. And um, during one of my rotations, I was working in an emergency room. Um, and the there, there was a family that brought their six-month-old baby in who was having severe asthmatic attack. And this kid looked terrible. You know, I had seen kids on different rotations, but I'd never seen anything like this. And there were eight of us in the in the code team, and she was coding. You know, she was mm. in respiratory arrest, and then she went into cardiac arrest. Um, and we worked on her for a while, and she died. And you know, the attending called the code, and I remember just standing there, silent, like this little baby just died, and the parents were right outside Ugh. the room. It was awful. And I remember standing there thinking, if this is what pediatrics involves, I can't do this. And there was no discussion, no, you know, I just I had to go on to like the next patient. It was, it was awful. And I remember thinking, I can't do peds. That's, that's not for me. Yeah. It was pretty awful. So I decided maybe what I could do is do family medicine like Dr. Stack, you know, mm-hmm. my, my, uh, childhood doctor and um, so I applied and got got into a family medicine residency and did really well through that but I was restless Um, I had to see a patient every 10 minutes 15 minutes we had you know clinic and uh, we would rotate through doctor's offices and we would do rounds in the hospital but it was very mechanical and pressured and um, you were restless or the I, I, I was restless, yeah, because of uh, the the system I was in was not allowing for me to connect with patients. Oh, I see. You know, it was like, okay, they come in for the sore throat, just talk about the sore throat, but, you know, they're having other problems. You can't go there. <laughs> and at the time, HMOs were coming into play and the insurance push, and the doctors were trying to make a living and, you yeah. know, keep their offices open. Um, 
and uh, I, I was just not happy with that setup. Like I, I knew I, I was kind of built for something else, but I, I wasn't quite sure what. And during my family medicine res residency, we had to do a block in a psychiatric unit, which um, I, to my surprise, I really enjoyed because I could take a half hour or 45 minutes and just listen to what someone was saying and really get to know the problem. Like, you know, what are they, yes, okay, they have depression or anxiety or psychosis, but what's going on? What's, what's happening at their home life and their work and their families? Um, and I was able to get more at the root of maybe what was bothering people. And I, to my surprise, I really liked it. And I thought, you have to be crazy to be a psychiatrist, you know? You said you surprised. What, what was it that was surprising? Um, I think I had an image of what psychiatry was. Like, you had to be nuts to be in psychiatry. Uh -huh. um, in the way psychiatrists are portrayed on television or in the movies, mm -hmm. you know, the typical Dr. Freud, you know, with the beard and the pipe and the couch. And, and I, I just... That I never thought that that was something I, I would do, and yet I found that I was able to connect with patients. Yeah. And I worked that this one psychiatrist I worked with, he, he and I, you know, we would talk about patient care. And one time he just said to me, you know, I really think you have a knack for this. You should think about psychiatry. And and it, you know, something in me kind of went, oh, what? Yeah, <laughs> okay. No, I no, I responded positively. Oh. I wasn't surprised. It was like he was saying what I knew, but oh. I just wasn't fully conscious. Of letting myself go there, um, and then I thought I have to tell my folks I'm going to be a psychiatrist, maybe, because <laughs> that was so not in their, you know, wheelhouse. So, <laughs> um, and I decided to just take that risk, and I applied. And right around this time is when I also started therapy. So during my family medicine residency, because I was really, I was, I was restless. I was, on, I was not happy with the work. Like, yeah, I want to be a doctor. I thought I wanted to be a pediatrician. Then I had to make a change from that. Went to family medicine, and I, I liked the people I was working with were great, mm -hmm. but I just couldn't get at the, the deeper stuff or the, um, you know, what was triggering a lot of their problems. Um, so, you know, I. I just found that if I didn't, I said to myself, if I don't apply for a psych residency now, I knew I would regret it later. So it's like I had my midlife crisis in my late 20s. Like if I don't do this now, you know, because my husband and I, we got married, we wanted to have a family. I'm like, when am I going to get to do? So practically speaking, it was probably the worst thing you could have done, but you felt in deep down that that was what you needed to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I applied to three programs, got into all three. I'm like, okay, it's a sign, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, so, you know, did the interviewing and got in and, uh, you know, accepted a position. And, um, I, you know, I remember just showing up that first day going, and I felt like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. It, I liked the work. I mean, it was hard work, you know, uh -huh. we were on call every third night and, you know, your weekends were shot usually. and. Um, but the work, I really enjoyed working with the patients. We worked you know, in the emergency room, inpatient, outpatient. Um, we did work in state hospital, in the, in the VA system. Uh, so I got a very good exposure to lots of different as aspects of psychiatry.
um, so that that seed that was germinating all those yeah. years it, it's like it finally started growing and uh, you know I, I mean I have no regrets looking back at that and it was you know that seed each each person I met along the way kind of helped that grow but um, even after when I well let me go back when I finished my residency in psychiatry I started my own practice I wanted to be my own practice and my own boss and not work for someone and I thought all right I'll try it if it doesn't work okay then it doesn't work but um, but I was pregnant with my son <laughs> <laughs> so I graduated started my practice and had my first child all in the like you know the first that that six month window wow um, yeah, it was crazy when I look back at it I go what was I thinking <laughs> um, and yet I just like I, I knew there's a part of me it's like just just keep shipping away and that's my personality it's like just come on you, you got this come on you can do this just keep sniffing around you'll you'll figure it out it's like I trust my own intuition so mm -hmm. um, I so I started my practice and I had I was in therapy for a while and I I I worked with a therapist who knew not to push me and just kind of let me just kind of explore things and, and but I had buried all those emotions like the car accident and the birth or the death of that child um, and then he got really sick and what a loss that was because we had a really good uh, doctor-patient relationship and I really valued that and I saw now I look back and I see the value of of that stability that he gave me. I was just able to just vent the things. You know, when we're doctors, we are dealing with people's suffering. That affects us as, as human beings, you know. Mm -hmm. You can't just take it all in. You gotta, you know, you gotta sometimes just sit down and cry at the losses and the pain that, that we witness every every single day. Um, so that was, that was a really important piece of, that, you know, those four years in my residency and when I started my practice. Um, the, the, the way you said that reminds me of, uh, I think I've heard someone else say it's um, to maintain your sensitivity and, yeah. but also be able to get through the day is, a, is an enormous challenge, I think, as a, any kind of doctor but a psychiatrist. Yeah, because you can get hard, really. I know if I had done emergency medicine, which I kind of toyed with for a while because I was pretty good at that, but you had to be really thick-skinned and tough to just see all this trauma coming in the door and death and illness and uh, I'm just not built for that and I figured that out very early on um, and yeah to maintain that sensitivity is is really important for, for all doctors mm -hmm. you know um, so but even after my, my son was born and I started my practice, the, the you know, next five to seven years, you know, things were just kind of chugging along. And, um, but I was still at that restless feeling. It kept bothering me. I, I saw this split in psychiatry where it was, they, it looked at the body and the brain as a machine and just find the right medicine, like a lock and key kind of theory. Like you use this drug for this receptor, all will be well. And yet I wasn't getting everybody well. There were people that didn't respond to that mm -hmm. approach. And then the psychotherapy disciplines I was instructed in, you know, was more maybe cognitive based or psychodynamic based. And so I had to magically kind of come up with something to say that might help the patient have an aha moment and, you know, their life would be better. So there was this like, this split that 
I couldn't integrate. I couldn't pull it all together. I'm like, there's got to be something else than, you know, just just talking yeah. and just finding the right drug. And so I guess about five, six years after I started my practice, I reconnected with the, the doctor I had met on my pediatric rotation who was training to be a medical ergonomist. And we had a couple of phone conversations, you know, found him, he had started a practice and um, I was telling him what I'm telling you now uh -huh. and you know, that I was, I was looking for something, but I didn't know what, you know. And um, he sent me two books, The Murder of Christ and Man in the Trap. By Reich and Baker. Yeah, The Man in the Trap uh, by Dr. Ellsworth Baker and Murder of Christ by Wilhelm Reich. And when I read them, there were parts of it that just felt like, oh, oh, okay. That explains some things. You know, and growing up Catholic, you know, the story of Jesus and, you know, what he was, who he was. I, I never understood how he could be murdered. He was a really deep person. He did a lot of good and, and yet you know, he died. So reading Reich's book, The Murder of Christ, and about the emotional play, that left a really deep impression on me that like, there's something out there that is really toxic to life, to, uh -huh. to people's ability to, to work and to love and their relationships. Um, so that got me very curious about what was ergonomy. But by this point, I'm in my late 30s, early 40s saying, what is this? You know, and I had two little kids and a practice and a mortgage and, yeah. you know, like, what is when this? When you first so, met that doctor, did you ever talk about ergonomy? Not at all, no. no. No, I just knew he connected differently with the kids. Oh, I see. Um, he had this, like, he'd be on the floor, and the, the, we had this one room on the peds ward that was filled with just toys, and he would go in there and try to examine them, but he's playing with them, you yeah. know, and I, um, he just got on the floor and was at their level and yeah. was able to yeah. do the medical assessment and take care of them, but also connect with them, you know, the way you need to connect with a five-year-old or yeah. a 10-year-old. Um, so, so reading those two books uh, really got me thinking like, okay, where do I want my medical career to go? What kind of work do I want to do with my patients? And my, pr my practice was growing. I was seeing a lot of patients and really enjoying the work, but knowing something was missing. Um, again, wanting that depth. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, it's not just about neurotransmitters. Because <laughs> if that was the case, then, you know, all my patients would be magically well with the pills, and, and it wasn't, they, you know, they were... So, um... Yeah, I'm thinking when, when you mentioned, you know, reading those books, what I remember when I first read, read some of Reich's books was that some of that curiosity I had was satisfied. Like, I found some answers to questions sure. that maybe weren't even clearly thought out in my mind, but it just felt like something was answered, but it also um, encouraged more curiosity because yes. there's so much more to learn and to right. discover, I think. Well, with Dr. Baker's book, Man in the Trap, I felt like someone handed me a blueprint. Here, <laughs> try looking at it through this lens. Mm -hmm. And it made so much sense. I started being able to see people 
a little differently. I saw myself differently to understand character and um, you know how people become pushy or prickly or you know anxious or mm-hmm. how they they may split and um, it it really got me interested in ergonomy and I attended a couple of the conferences um, that the that the college had and you know heard. I remember one conference they had uh, on midwifery and um, the care of pregnant women, and uh, I forget the exact title of it, but I remember sitting there and it was a room full of people who were midwives and doctors, and I thought, this is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Again, the care of children uh, and, and pregnant women, um, which is something that I, I kind of intrinsically you know, like to do. and. Um, it's important to protect the health in kids and I wanted to protect my own children's health because I saw the world they were growing up in and I'm like I, I gotta I gotta do I have to be the best mom I can be so that they can have the best shot at a healthy childhood and, and that was your feeling in what year <laughs> <laughs> consciously or unconsciously <laughs> no I'm just thinking and you know you're saying looking at the world around them and I'm just thinking how much has changed. Yeah, oh, it's much more toxic now. Yeah. Oh. But um, so I decided to work with uh, a medical ergonomist and so I, I started therapy in my early 40s and just started again, no, not pushing, just looking at things and dealing with the suffering that I was experiencing in my own life and my patients' lives, raising kids and their troubles, you know, um, and and then I decided from from that experience, from my own uh, work as a patient with a medical ergonomist, that I wanted to study this more. And so, you know, I started. I took the didactic class, and and the college accepted me as a you know as a member. So, you know, it started out as a very young girl, and it ended up you know where I'm still learning and. Um, one of the things that, you know, thinking about us having this conversation today, I, I remember thinking that I've, I've always known, even as a young child, what, what ergonomy was. I just didn't know its name. Ergonomy is the, the science of man's relationship with nature. And I think through my whole life, when I look at this arc of, you know, the story of my life, I've always had this relationship with nature, whether it's being out in the woods, you know, or on my bike, or hiking, or looking in a lab, a microscope, or sitting with a patient, or raising my child, uh-huh. or, or looking inside myself, like, in my relationships, just nature, you know, our relationship with nature, and studying that, I've always, I've always been perceiving that, and looking at that, and I just didn't know what to call it, Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense because I think I, I feel similarly. Um, do you remember when you first heard the word ergonomy, what your impression was? I don't actually remember exactly. I'm just curious if there, there's something about it that seems to make sense, although I think um, you know something new, people don't always react with just yeah i don't I don't know that I remember that consciously. Uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't foreign. It was just oh, there's this discipline. There's this science yeah. out there. 
um, again, my curiosity, I wanted, I wanted to learn. Yeah. Um, I mean, and also I, I myself personally, I didn't want to be as in, in as much pain as I was because, you know, having almost died when I was a kid <laughs> and, you know, and watching people suffer like my grandparents and listening to patients and, and their suffering and then watching my own children with their struggles. Um, I needed a place to kind of, you know, work that through and express it in a, in a way that wasn't just talking with words. Yeah. You know, it's more like, well, what's happening in, you know, in my body, what's happening in my mind. And, and there are some things there are no words for. Exactly. You know, the grief of the child dying, you know, I can hardly put that into words sometimes when I think about it. And even telling you, it's just, just that moment where she died was profound. And I wasn't emotionally equipped to grieve properly. So, you know, and then, and, I mean, I teach medical students now and we're much more aware of the emotional life of medical students because mm -hmm. they're getting hammered <laughs> you know, um, they do a lot of work and are they emotionally equipped and supported to um, to handle what they they witness you yeah. know and the suffering that they witness no matter what field they go into so but that wasn't in place when i was in medical school uh -huh. or in my residency i wish it was because you know but you know Fortunately, I was able to work through and, and handle that grief. I cried a lot over that little girl. I wish I could remember her name too. I, you know, I, I don't know her, what her name was, but that yeah. family, that, that their lives were changed. And I, I wanted to go talk to the family, but I didn't. But that was my instinct to, mm -hmm. you know, to comfort them in, in their grief. But I didn't. You know, the team was just standing there, and and, and everybody just went about their business. I still remember the first time I was in an emergency room, I, I think it was, maybe it was a medical student before residency. Yeah. But I just remember the weirdest feeling of, you know, there was a code going on here. Yeah. And then there was like, life going on as normal over here. And I just had this sense like, shouldn't we all be like, like, how do you, I couldn't wrap my head around this feeling that like, there was just partitions of things going on that... Um, I, I think that is just how it has to be, and not everyone can rush and, and do that, but right. just the, the, the emotional tone of it just, it was hard to make sense of. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Can you, can you say more about, I mean, you're a doctor and you're a patient, can you say about, um, you know, like, I find my own therapy is essential for my practice as a psychiatrist. Can you say more about that? Yeah, I get out of my own way. <laughs> <laughs> like I just kind of go, oh, Sue, shut up. <laughs> you know? um, well, I mean, the, the part of me that's not healthy needs some attention, uh -huh. you know, and little by little, you know, I've been able to chip away at that and, and you know, I repressed a lot of things growing up because you just didn't talk about your emotions, your deeper stuff. You kind of pulled yourself up and, you know, took the next step. And that's fine, but it, it also leaves a space <laughs> that you don't get to cry when you need to cry or be angry when you need to be angry. So 
and I, I think doctors, and I know I've, I've suffered with this in a way, like we, we're supposed to have all the answers. Well, no, <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and that's okay. Um, and therapies help me realize like, okay, just to be with a person is enough. You may not have the answers. Mm -hmm. Just somebody there and you're not alone, you know, so. Um, I think I felt alone a lot when I was a kid, even though I was surrounded by all these people and, you know, I had a, a good life, but there was, the, I was alone I and, see. and I, I never really understood how deep that went until I was able to start therapy. And then because I can go there and, and know that in myself, patients can also probably pick that up for me. Like I'm, I'm okay with when they express that and I get it. And they know I get it. Yeah. That I'm not talking it. over them. I'm not going to gloss over it. I'm not going to, you know, belittle it or try to divert from it. It's like, no, I mean, we all have this place inside of us that, you know, just, just to sit with somebody mm -hmm. and be taken seriously. That, that's probably the difference I think about ergonomy. There's, there's a, a, a way that the doctor takes you seriously and um, you know I needed that yeah, yeah. You, you didn't say it but I guess that's what I felt when you were talking about even the doctor you met who, who introduced you um, to ergonomy is maybe that's what he was doing with the children he yeah. was taking them seriously yeah. you know they're not just little people who um, really it was eye contact I watched how he would make eye contact with them so he'd be putting the stethoscope on their chest, you know, they'd be screaming and crying or whatever if their mother was holding them or the nurse was holding them. But he, he tried to make eye contact with them and that calmed him down. It's like, no, you're all right. I got yeah. you. I got, you know, I got your back. I got your yeah. front. You yeah. know, you're going to get through this. I know you're sick and I'm, I'm just here, you know. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think what I observe in a lot of patients is they're really uncomfortable with letting themselves be that vulnerable to just let someone else see them mm -hmm. and be vulnerable and just, I know that's how I felt and yeah. I see that a lot in, in many of my patients. Um, but, you know, I have great respect for my, my patients. They have tremendous courage in being able to just face what they feel, you know. Mm -hmm. So just recognizing that in them you know, what doctor talks about courage, <laughs> you know, but just to have yeah. courage comes from a French word for heart, cur, but just to have, find your heart, even though you're scared or you're upset, just to be courageous. So, um, yeah, my patients really humble me sometimes. And I think, how the heck do they get through their day? And yet they do, and they're doing, they do great things with their lives. You know, they overcome. I could tell you story after story, but just, you know, some of them shouldn't be here, and yet they are. Yeah. Because the life in them is just so strong and vital, and, and they, they're willing to just work at it. And that's how I am with my own therapy, is I'm just willing to, you know, that life in me feels so vital. So. Yeah, there, there's something, um, I don't know quite the words, but in my own therapy and training I think it's helped me have an appreciation just for life and for yep. people and despite all of people's problems that we all have you and me included that um, 
there, there's so much good that's that's there still, you know. That'll never make the headlines, <laughs> but it should. Yeah. 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 Well, I very much appreciate you you talking with me and, and sure. sharing part pleasure. of your story. Yeah. I've enjoyed it. Thank you, Dr. Marcel. You're welcome. I have the pleasure of calling Dr. Marcel a friend, and I know I appreciate her excitement and curiosity. I'm hoping to sit down with more of the ACO doctors, so let me know what you think of this interview and others to come. I would love to hear from you. The easiest way to get in touch is email aco at organomy.org. You can connect with us at organomy.org or a different kind of psychiatry.com. If you like our work, be sure to leave a rating and review. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. We have a new episode each month, so stay tuned. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Thank you for listening to In Contact with the ACO. Since 1968, psychiatrists affiliated with the American College of Organomy have been helping patients discover greater satisfaction, health, and overall well-being in their lives. Whether patients suffer with mental illness, struggle with addiction, or feel unsatisfied with their work lives or relationships, Medical organ therapy, as practiced by the physicians at the ACO, offers a way forward, often without the use of medication.